Our message today is hope in the Messiah. Jesus Christ sets the standard for those who are struggling. This Christmas season, let's take time to focus on Christ's love and compassion in our lives. Why did Jesus have to come? Well, it was because we're sinners, right? It's because we need needed saving. So that's where I pointed this message today. It's toward that salvation message, the reason why and things. So what's the problem and things? So let's get into it, I guess. You don't have to look very far in any direction to see that we are, we are living in a broken, sinful culture. Whether it's by looking at a historical timeline, or if you look around the neighborhood, you can see the evidence of brokenness and sin. As we see through... Throughout the Bible, as man sins, there's consequences for these actions. Man never really adds up to enough, and he always falls short no matter how hard he tries. In a nutshell, this describes the Old Testament. God comes with the terms and tells man, if, if you listen and obey, it will go well with you. But if you don't, I will humble you. A lot of times that came in the presence of an, an army. Sometimes it was God sending pestilence or disease. Sometimes it was drought. All of those happened in King David's um, reign. You see that in several kings, but we, we find stories in the Bible of specifically King David that happened to him in all three instances. So a guy that's supposed to have God's own heart, he strays away from the Lord uh, quite often, or has consequences from other people straying away from the Lord. So since we know God sets the terms, it must mean that he has a master plan, right? It must mean that he has something bigger out there than us that is going on because we are a fallen generation. We are a fallen nation. We are a fallen mankind, and God has a plan to restore mankind to holiness, back to him to be in his presence of God the Father. And I should, it should be a comfort that this plan is not bound by time, matter, and space, and therefore it is not finite. It doesn't have a timeline. It doesn't have a, something that's necessarily measurable. It just is. The plan is eternal, and it's infinite like our holy heavenly Father. God's word says that before there was a beginning, there was God. You see that in John chapter 1, verse 1, as we read in the call to worship this morning. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You skip down to verse 14, and it says, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, or if you read in another translation, it says grace and truth. This just defines it a little bit more. God, in the form of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, becomes the answer to man's problems. And that's exciting. There's something wonderful there. Today, we're going to talk about how we get here and the problems that go with it. And Jesus 
He's the solution. Christ Jesus set the standard for those who are struggling. And this Christmas season, let's take time to focus on Christ's love and compassion in our lives. So let's look at the problem, the problem of sin. It started this whole downfall. It's currently taking us slowly down that tube as we plummet into destruction. Yay. Merry Christmas. All right, that's all I got. No. But for a lot of people out there, that's where the story ends. It's never going to get better. There's hopelessness. There's, what are we going to do? I mean, William's so distraught, he's falling off his seat over here. <laughs> right? So what was God's plan? You got to look at the whole picture, right? We got to see the whole thing. And what, where do we start with that? We've got to start at the very beginning. And through the, the study of John, we've gone there, back there several times, but we're, we go back there again. And if we were to open up to Genesis chapter 3, I'm just going to summarize, basically that's the fall of man. We would find a tragic story of how man first stepped out of God's plan, the ultimate tragedy story. And the consequences that go with it. Often, I'm left wondering, if I were Adam, would I have done any better? I used to think this a lot, especially, oh, I was, I think I was freshman's, I think I was a sophomore in, in college. And I thought, man, I think, I think I could have handled this. I really do. Because think about this. I wouldn't have my sin nature, and so I wouldn't have the propensity to sin. Well, how come he couldn't? handle this. So I remember getting very frustrated with that thought and at my fate and the fate of the world, they were all put in Adam's hands and, and he failed. Why didn't I get a chance to prove myself? And this is one of the questions that plagued me for a long time going, growing up. So it was about this time that I'd say, well, why don't I get a chance to prove myself? Well, how could I do that? Well, I turned to Exodus chapter 20, and I found the Ten Commandments. Well, there's only ten, and that's kind of the, the whole point of the Ten Commandments, that there's only ten. If you can keep these Ten Commandments, then you can be holy, right? So I figured, well, that's a good place to start. What if I can keep those Ten Commandments for 24 hours, because I do have a sin nature, right? And I figured, well, I should have a shot. It's not selfish at all, right? I know. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm really setting myself up here. But this is how I thought, and I've thought this uh, many a times, and so this is what came out for my Christmas message. So maybe God should reconsider this agreement with Adam and he, and make one with God and me, right? It makes sense. I don't know if you've ever um, been, I'll call it non-humble like this, but uh, I have. So I was at the school young age I was. I could imagine, how, you can imagine how well I, I did. I figured I'd better get get to know the rules if I'm going to play the game. So I looked up the Ten Commandments and I quickly threw out the first one because, and most of the second one because, well, 
Who's able to judge that, really? I mean, other than God, God alone, because, you know, if it's between me and God, let's just throw that one out. After all, that's kind of what he did for the rich young ruler, so can he do that one for me, too? Oh, boy. And, but, you know, the second one, I really don't have too many idols. At least I didn't think so. Obviously, myself. Um, <laughs> little did I know that I, I've already broken the first one by kicking out the first rule. <laughs> I've already broken it. Um, becoming the rule giver myself, setting the terms for the agreement. I put a God before God, but I didn't really, I was naive enough to just keep plowing along. So three, I figured was fine because I used God's name correctly. And four, I could do that because I could rest on Sunday and I went to church to give God the glory. I could do that. No problem. I might even get 48 hours out of this. So we're all good. Number five can trip me up a little bit. Honor thy father and mother. But you know, for 24 hours, I, no problem. I can do, I could even probably do something that's bad and just say, Hey, I did it for mom and dad because they told me to. Number six, don't murder, don't commit adultery. Seven, don't steal, don't lie. That's eight and nine, and don't covet. Well, that one's a little harder because I like things. So don't cover your neighbor's house, wife, servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Well, my neighbor across the street doesn't even have a donkey, so we're all good. But you could say he had a Mustang, um, and I didn't really like Ford, so I was fine there too. So... Um, I was fine, but you might be asking, well, how'd you do, Pastor? How'd you do? Well, moving on, just kidding. Well, you ever played the game, just any game, and you get done with the game and you lost and you're like, do over, I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready. <laughs> yeah, do over. Well, that was me. I was like... No, nope, I've already screwed up. Okay, start over, start over. I can already feel myself coveting. Lord, you got to help me. You got to help me because you even helped Adam and Eve in the garden, right? So maybe I've gotten command number one a little closer to the top, maybe not quite where it should be, but I asked God for help. I figured he helped Adam and Eve in the beginning, and he was like, okay, I, I can do that. But if I'm going to do that, let's look at the Sermon on the Mount and look at what 6, 7, and 8, 9, and 10 commandments, what I, Jesus, had to say about those things. I said, I'd rather not. Because being that young age, hate was a, uh, a vocabulary word that I, I used often. I hate that. I don't like that. It wasn't I don't like that. I hate that. Um, and a lot of times I was kind of sincere in that. But hate's a very powerful word. And God says if you hate somebody in your heart, you've actually murdered them. And what's he say about adultery? If you look on someone with lust, I was like a 20-year-old. That was like every three seconds, according to the stats. And I probably wasn't that far off of that at 20. And... Do you really know what covet means? Do you really know? So I looked at that up, and that means if you want something, if you are jealous that they have it and you don't have it, that is what it means to covet. I am in trouble. So right there, for folks, you can see that your pastor's not the sharpest tool in the shed. And I was 
free under my own merit for about 15 minutes. That's right. I was, if I would have just went right there, I might have made it to heaven by myself under this new deal. Sounds like a government thing, doesn't it? The new, uh, a new deal. Sounds like where we're getting now. Oh boy. But what I realized was that I wanted to be God. I wanted to set the terms. And so if I was really honest with myself, just going into this new deal, I was breaking command number one. That was rough. I tried to throw it out in the beginning, and that, in a sense, was my first downfall. Not to mention 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. That he says to the rich young ruler, and he says, all these I've kept since I was young. Well, no, you haven't, because if you break 10, you've broken them all. And as you look at Jesus, as he sets a standard in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, you see that it's hard to keep 6, 7, 8, 9 as well. So I quickly came to the conclusion that if I can't hold off sin for 15 minutes, then I wouldn't have done any better in the garden. And I try to make a case that, well, Adam didn't have sin nature, but that falls apart. It just takes a little longer. Because the, temp, the temptation to want to be our own God is one that's taken mankind down for years and years and years. And will continue to do so because guess what? Satan knows it works and he uses it often. So we got a problem. So all so you look all throughout the Old Testament and we find that man he comes up short. And my question is why? This comes down to the theology theological question. Is man at his core is he good or is he evil? And after doing the self-examination, if I was honest with myself, I I knew at the core that I would do whatever I had to to make sure that I came out on top. And I think even today, I, I've been thinking about a book I read on, on concentration camps, and as a Jewish author, and he, he was in the, in the concentration camps, and he said, when it comes down to, to starving people, everyone becomes selfish. Everyone becomes selfish. When you have extra, you don't give it away because you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. And that really struck a chord in me because when we, when push comes to shove, we are always going to choose ourselves. We may ask the Lord for forgiveness, but what it came down to, I will always choose myself that I am evil and I am in need of a Savior. That's what I realized. So then it comes down to another question. If I'm in need of a Savior, is Christianity just going to be a hobby or is it going to be a lifestyle? Is it something that I'm going to pursue on a daily basis or is it going to be something that sounds good on Sunday so I will go to keep up my image or, in my case, keep my occupation as a pastor? 
Is it a religion in something that I do and patterns that I go through? I'm going to read my Bible over and over, or am I going to let it penetrate my heart and make it a relationship? Am I going to open my ears and listen, or am I going to read and interpret it myself? We are all going to have to serve somebody, whether that be the devil or whether it be the Lord. We're going to have to serve somebody. It's the truth. So where does my hope lie? Where do I always fall short? My hope relies on my own abilities. I always fall short. I can sustain it for a long time, especially when I'm walking in my talents that the Lord has given me. I can sustain that hope for a long time. I can even declare that a righteous hope because I can put a little bit of a God-centeredness to it, can I? I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I've done that before. Like, look what we're doing here. Look what, how, how this ministry has taken off. It's a danger. It's a very big danger for a pastor to take the glory for yourself, right? That's why we have elders. That's why we have the system that we have in place that the elders evaluate the pastor, the congregation evaluates the elders, so it, there's accountability all around, right? Yes? That's, that's why we set it up originally. So where does my hope lie? Well, would you believe there's a little bit of a Christmas story in Galatians chapter 4? If you want to open your Bible, we're going to read a few verses out of there. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. This is the New Living Translation. Galatians is one of those little books back toward the back. I'll wait for you to get there. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son. I, so right there, this is something that baffles me. As we study John, as we study Genesis, and you look at this passage in Galatians, a God not bound by time is concerned about timing. You ever look at that before? A God not bound by time is concerned about timing. Does God need to be concerned about timing? Absolutely not. He does, there's no reason for God to be concerned about timing, is there? He's not bound by it unless he's a God of love, unless he cares about those he created, unless the creator is worried about the creation then he has, he's all about timing, isn't he? And we know that God is love. So when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Another woe moment. If Jesus disobeys the law, he is not worthy. Okay, that's what that says. If Jesus messes up, we are all going to hell. Him included. Satan wins. Game over. He's subject to the law, so he has to perfect the law, doesn't he? Which he does. 
God sent him to buy freedom for those who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to cry out, Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his children, God has made you his heir. Praise God for that hope. Praise God that he is faithful even when we are not. Praise God. The care and the compassion in this passage alone gives me hope for a fallen world. The freedom. He sent him to buy freedom for us that were slaves to the law. How does he? Well, first, who established the law? That's a good question. Who established the law? God did, right? He gave it to Moses to give to the people that they were to follow the law. Think of all the things that he just pigeonholed Jesus into having to do. You have to fulfill all the law. There's a lot of prophecy in that. You have to fulfill this sacrifice and this sacrifice and this sacrifice and this sacrifice. All these are going to be pointing symbolism to the sacrifice that you're going to have to make. Did Jesus know his mission when he came to this earth? Absolutely. Because he knew the sacrifices that were giving on the cross were symbolism of what he was going to have to do on the cross. So all the sacrifices on the altar were the ones that he was going to have to give on the cross. That's how that's supposed to be said. So Jesus set the standard for those who are struggling. This Christmas season, let's take time to focus on Christ's love and compassion in our lives. So that is the problem of sin. The solution is Jesus Christ. The solution. I remember the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That is... That might be like the saying we need to get up at the food pantry. That is made um, a headway into this community more than anything we have done. One, because it's consistent, and people see that we're there consistent. When trials come, the food pantry is still there. When there's... Um, disease and things across the nation, the food pantry's still there. There's still smiling faces. There's still the God bless you as they leave. There's still prayer going on. We got to pray with the, uh, with the lady yesterday for her family. God is doing some things there. There is, dare I say, it gives us credibility. And what I mean by that is People know how much we care because they can see it. They can see practical things going into their trunk and things, right? They can see the smiling faces. And that is a testimony in itself. And God, he's using that in a mighty way. I would say this, I would say that this same principle will apply 
to God as well. We don't really care how big God is. We don't really care that who's in charge or how we got there or anything like that until we find out how much he cared for us. And he continues to care for us, right? He gave us his son. And right there, that's the Christmas story, isn't it? It is the Christmas story because God cared enough to send his son as a little baby to dwell among us for 33 years or so. 33 and a quarter is what a lot of people think it is. So God came into this world to pay for our sins. God could have come in in so many different ways. He could have came down and just declared us sinners, get right with the Lord and take us up to heaven. And if you're not right with the Lord, then you go to hell. But he gave us an opportunity to make it right. Think about this. When Adam sinned, he could have started over right there, right? You ever wonder why he didn't do that? Sin has a funny way of forcing us to look outside ourselves. And when we have evil, it shows us good. I'm not saying that evil is good, but what I'm saying is that evil allows the light to be brighter. And when we have a bright light, we, maybe this particular human, is dumb human, I'll say, um, I am able to see the brightness and say, I need that. I need that. And we can share that. We can show that. So by choosing the way he did, he proved that he was willing to do life like we do. He was willing to face the temptations that we face, and he was willing to humble himself. It says in Philippians chapter 2, Verses 6 through 8, it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. From man to God, or from God to man, he humbled himself. From infinite to finite. From a man to a baby. And again, from a man to a servant. From a king to a servant. Cared for by his own. Though he knew his own would reject him and treat him like a criminal, he still gave himself to his mother Mary. What a miracle that is. What trust that is. Praise God that he can have that relationship with you and I as well. He trusts us like that with his message, doesn't he? So they're going to reject him. They're going to treat him like a criminal. And, on the, and he's going to be placed on the cross until he died. But Jesus rises from the grave, he def defeating death, he defeats hell, and he defeats Satan. 
And then he opens the way to God through, open the, to God the Father through himself, right? And what does he pour out into us? As Christ followers, we have a secret weapon. I've been reading a book called Out of, Out of the Salt Shaker Into the World, and it's a very good, I've actually been listening to it um, while I was going up to my parents. And if you've never read that book, it is a very, very, very good book on relational evangelism. So if you want to be able to share your faith in a very conversation-type way, it is the best, one of the best books that I've found to be able to do that. So in that book, she describes the secret weapon to the Christian faith. She's quoting somebody, and I can't remember who she's quoting, is joy. It's joy. Why in the world can somebody go through suffering and still have joy? It doesn't make any sense, and it really doesn't outside of God or Jesus. He is the one that pours joy into our hearts. And if he is in the right place as number one in our life, it is easy to see that joy sprout through our lives, right? It's important. So think about this. Jesus could have defeated death. He could have walked away from those who rejected him. He could have got off that cross anytime he wanted to. He could have went through the whole process like he did, and then he got done and said, see, you should have listened. Now you're all going to hell. That's not what he does. That wasn't his purpose. Is Jesus going to come back, and is he going to draw the line and make black, black, and white, white? Absolutely he will. But right now, he's allowing us to walk toward the light. And as we walk toward the light, we need to be faithful as he is faithful and bring others to him. He uses his death as an opportunity to give us life. Isn't that something? That's, just, that's God in a nutshell right there. When we, we look at hopelessness, he was like, but it doesn't end there. You know, Jesus is alive. He is mighty. He is strong. He is the stone that the builders rejected, and he has become the cornerstone. He is what we build our faith, our foundation off of, right? Otherwise, we would still be looking for a sacrificial system like Judaism to get to heaven, but we don't have that anymore. We have the hope in Jesus Christ. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He paid for that by the sacrifice on the cross, and we have eternal life through him. So meaning Jesus has put a standard in place, or meaning God has put a standard in place, and his standard is Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus set the standard for those who are struggling, and this Christmas season, let's take time to focus on Christ's love and compassion in our lives. So let's look at this standard, shall we? Christ Jesus is the standard. Everyone will be measured according to his righteous standard. Everyone will fall short. Oh, happy day, Shane. Where's that joy you were talking about? Uh, you kind of missed it right there. Unless, whew, thank the Lord, literally. Unless we humble ourselves and ask the Lord to take the lead in our life. Right? That's, 
That's the first commandment. You shall not have any other gods before me. It's no different today. When we ask Christ to come into our life, we are, in a sense, saying, Lord, you are first in our life. You are the Lord of our life. You are the standard of our life. But pastor, the problem with Christianity is not with Christ. It's with the Christian that I have a problem with. They go into the church on Sunday, and they go about their lives on Monday. And I really don't see, I don't hear any different than anything that I do. And I would say, in most cases, you're absolutely correct. 90% of the church has let the world down, and nobody dislikes a hypocrite more than God. And I'm right up there with it, unless it's me, then I'm okay with it. Uh, right? As you can see in my, my human nature, as I take out the, the first commandment, oh, we're just going to throw that one out, right? I still do that today. That's very hypocritical. But I, I can also say with certainty that 100% of the Christians at one time or other will let you down. And for one reason or another, we may not know, and it may be a standard that you've set and not one that they've set, and they don't even know they let you down, but they're going to let you down. Your pastor's going to let you down. Elders are going to let you down. Your church body, your church family is going to let you down. This is why we need to look at the Savior first for our salvation because Jesus Christ will never let us down. When we truly look at the picture of who Jesus is, he is our standard. He is the one that we pursue. And when we pursue him as a church body and as individuals, then we can make glimpses of that standard show up in our community, in our families, in our world, in our personal life, can't we? And that's what it's all about. So here are two ways the church can look more like Jesus. That first part of the sermon was more for seekers. This one's more for the church. Okay? So number one, restoration from sin. When we see our brother in sin, we restore him gently. I find this in Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 3, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are important, too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. And I love this next line. You are not that important. That one even hits me now when I read this one. I read that this week. One, I laugh. I think it's so funny. When you think you're that important, you are not that important. And then I'm like, I always add my name at the end of that. You're not that important, Shane. And that it makes it come home a little bit more with a guy that struggles with pride sometimes like I do. Um, I'm like, okay, Paul, Tell me what you really mean. So church, do we find ourselves free of sin? Are we sin free? We just spray a little Windex on us and that takes care of the problem, right? 
when, and just cleans us right up, when we walk through these doors or walk through the doors, does that change us into the perfect child of obedience? No. That's why it's so hard to walk through those doors. There's a popular Christian song on WCIC right now. It says, um, come as you are. If, if that were really true, the, then the pews would be full. It's basically what it says. I, I didn't quote it perfectly. But think about that, okay? When you come to church, there's an expectation of change, right? If you're going to walk in here and think that you're just going to stay in the hospital ward, you got another thing coming. Christ is not in the business of nursing sick people. He's in the business of nursing sick people back to health isn't he? He's not going to allow us to stay in our sin and say, oh, it's okay. There's consequences for that. God is going to take that and allow us to go to the next person. So if you come in with that expectation, sometimes we don't want to let go of our sin, do we? That is where the difficulty of coming to church is. That's okay. Guess what? We all struggle with that. We all don't want to let go of our selfish nature, we all walk forward in anticipation that God's going to work in our hearts to reflect Him. We also believe and hold on, hold each other to Christ's standards. We shouldn't be naive to think that we never sin because everyone sins. But if someone does fall away, we should pursue that person, shouldn't we? We should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path using the caution that we don't fall in the same sin. We're not going to send an alcoholic into the bar to get the other alcoholic out of the bar, right? But they might be able to walk into the grocery store and help somebody else in, in the same manner, you know? So it takes Christians to restore Christians. And Christ, obviously, is working in that situation. So take time this Christmas season to pray for someone who has fallen away from the Lord. Take time to humble yourself and ask the Lord how you might be part of that restoration plan. And don't necessarily think it's going to be the way you think it is. Number two, the restoration with compassion. It is easy to go up to a sinner and tell them what they're doing wrong. It is another thing to go up to a sinner, listen to them, have compassion, and allow them to come to the conclusion what they're doing is wrong. The second one is a lot more time-consuming. It builds a lot more trust in the sense that you have to have trust built before you even get in that conversation. But it is so much more Christ-like, isn't it? So, you ever hear the, the old, uh, maybe it would go like this. Pastor, have you ever hear what so-and-so did? Do you hear what so-and-so, do you hear about so-and-so? Well, let me stop you right there, because anything that he did... If not for the grace of God, 
I am just as capable of doing the same thing, right? So we're not going to look down on that person. And if this is a conversation, your next thing is, how can we restore him out of this? Or maybe how can, what's some advice that you can give me to help this person restore out? Because is, is it the pastor's job to restore everyone of his sheep? No. That would be a control thing, right? And if I were to do that the whole time, you guys better have your red flags or your antennas up, right? No, that is what we do as a body of believers. We work at this together. And we have to realize that we can fall in that temptation just as easy. And we need to realize that if we didn't have God's grace, we'd probably be right there with him or them. Guess what? Because we have all have sin in us too. To look at someone else's sin is not the same as to look at the Savior. Okay? So if you focus on somebody else's sin, are you really concerned about their salvation? Not first and foremost. You're more concerned about what the image they may have portrayed or how they've let you down or a lot of times it focuses on you somehow, even though it's their sin. Maybe it's something you struggle with. So, when we look at their sin, it is taking our eyes off of Jesus and probably trying to justify our own sin or to say, well, that's how they got away with it or they didn't get away with it. Maybe I could, possibly. And trying to justify our own salvation in this by saying, well, at least I'm better than Harry. At least I have got you know, I'm, I'm, I may be a sinner, but I'm not as bad as Harry, right? Poor Harry, <laughs> right? Maybe that's the other way we do it. Maybe it's, it's pity. Oh, poor Harry. If, you know, if he just try a little harder, uh, he'd just get, he'd just get there. Well, are, are you're having pity on Harry, but are you restoring pit, him with pity? No, you don't do anything for him except for, Rank yourself to him, that he's lower than you, and you're better than he is. When you come alongside and you cry on, allow Harry to cry on your shoulder, and you come alongside and, and walk through that, that is setting our self-righteousness aside. And walking alongside them. So... The difference between someone who is controlled by the flesh and someone who is controlled by the Spirit is the one controlled by the Spirit lets the Spirit take control. Okay? The difference between someone who is controlled by the flesh and someone who is controlled by the Spirit is the one controlled by the Spirit lets the Spirit take control. The one with the, with the flesh, or the one in the flesh, may see something and say, Lord, have mercy, and they will walk toward that sin. The one controlled by the Spirit may say, Lord, have mercy, and they walk away, and they'll pray that they don't succumb to that temptation. The difference is the Holy Spirit changes their direction. They change their mind, which changes their heart, and it changes your lifestyle. 
When you're focused on the Lord, he has something to point you to, which is him. I close with this. I heard it today, this week on Tuesday from Pastor James Ford. I looked up the quote. I couldn't find who originated from. There's several different sources it may have come from, so he gets the credit for now. There's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it really doesn't behoove any of us to find the fault with the rest of us. I'll say that again. There's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it really doesn't behoove any of us to find the fault with the rest of us, which means we're all struggling. We all struggle with sin. No matter we look at the best that we have, we're still not near as good as God. And if we look at the worst that we have, we're still not any off worse than anybody else. We're all struggling. We all have sin. We're all the same and equal at the foot of Jesus, aren't we? And there's hope in that because Jesus sets the standard. He sets the salvation message. So all God's heroes and zeros, they all have flaws with the exception of Jesus. He is our standard. He treated sinners with compassion. Church, don't believe the lie that we need to hide our flaws. Because when we share our flaws, it allows Christ to shine. What we need to be able to do is share our flaws, allow them to also know how God has shown up in a mighty way to help correct those flaws. And then we need to treat everyone else like they... So what we like to do is we treat ourselves like we're... We need to hide our flaws, in a sense, and then we treat everybody else like they're flawless. And then when they fall or they sin, we're like, ha! See? I can do that. I'm better than them. So I can get to heaven because they fell and I didn't. That's self-righteousness. That doesn't work. We need to have compassion on those that fall. We need to have compassion on ourselves as well. The only one who loses in that situation is us because we're, we're making ourselves our own God. Treat others with compassion so we can restore the relationship. When we step away from the Lord, it is not a quick step, is it? It's a slow fade. Here's the last chorus to the song, Slow Fade by Casting Crowns. It says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. When you give yourself away to sin. It's a slow fade. It's when black and white have turned to gray. Thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families Never crumble in a day. And it comes on with a little kid singing. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Christ Jesus sets the standard for those who are struggling. This Christmas season, let's take time to focus on Christ's love and compassion in our lives so that we can share it with others, so we can restore our brother, so we can have compassion on our sister 
and that we will not think of ourselves more highly than them, but we will come alongside and say, what can we do to help you make this right with the Lord? What can we do to make it right? And so we humble ourselves, right? That's step number one. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that we're able to meet. We thank you that you are watching over us. Lord, we pray that you would have compassion on our dear friend Shirley's family. Lord, we pray that you would be a comfort to them. Lord, we've come, we think of those that are not feeling well during this COVID season. We pray that your, you would, your mighty name would heal them, that they would be able to seek you. We pray for those that are struggling with cancer right now. We pray that you would uh, allow treatment there uh, in our congregation and abroad. We pray for this Christmas season, Lord. Melt our heart to become more like you. Allow the things of this world to fade away into the background and that you would come to our focus. Lord, we praise you for the wonderful season that we have that gives us hope, that gives hope to the nations. And Lord, you give hope to your church. You are our standard. You are our solution to the problem of sin. Lord, we thank you that you were vulnerable enough to send your son as a baby and to lift us out of the muck and the mire with those tiny little hands and then those strength of the hands that were on the cross. All the same person, Lord. Guide and direct us this week. Lead us and protect us as we go. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you and thank you for joining us.